There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sport. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Action from the Premier League goals. Yes, indeed. And a bad day gets even worse for Tottenham Hotspur because Aaron Connolly has given Brighton a 2-0 lead at the Amex. I think it was Stephen Alzate that whipped the ball in from the left touchline. Connolly got in front of his man and he managed to parry it, did the goalkeeper. The substitute, of course, Paolo Gazaniga, is on for the injured Hugo Lloris. He parried it straight into the, the, the grateful receipt of Aaron Connolly. And Connolly made no mistake the second time around. It is 2-0 to Brighton. Richard Pochettino is wearing the glummest of glum expressions in the dugout. And it's a very bad day thus far for Tottenham all, Hotspur. They've all, not really been at the races. They're all over the shop. They've had one long-range shot from Christian Eriksen, which was quite easily parried by uh, the Brighton goalkeeper Matthew Ryan. Other than that, Spurs haven't really created anything. They've obviously lost Loris, who's a massive loss to them. And, uh, and now they're 2-0 down. And they've got a mountain to climb to get back into this one, Tom. 34 minutes gone at the Amex, and it's Brighton 2, Tottenham 0. Do send us your thoughts on that one. What's happening in the rugby? Archie's keeping an eye. Third and final match today of the Rugby World Cup. It's host Japan facing Samoa. It's the hosts who have a comfortable lead with about 12 minutes to go. They lead Japan 26 points to 12. They've scored two tries so far. And big factor today is they really need to score two more tries for the bonus point victory. It's going to be a very tight group, this, of course, Ireland being upset by the host Japan last week. Scotland back in the mix now and a massive match next Sunday. Japan will take on Scotland. So, so Japan leading Samoa with just over 10 minutes to go. 26 points to 12. I'll keep you bang up to date over the final 10 minutes of this match. Tom Urquhart. Yeah. Uh, let's get some thoughts on the uh, uh, rugby from a little earlier on today, if we can, because uh, three games that we need to talk about, uh, and one of those games that we need to talk about is the first of those games. Let's just remind ourselves of the highlights. Uh, this was Australia taking on Uruguay in the early hours this morning. Hello and konnichiwa from inside Oita Stadium, where the Rugby World Cup revs up again with Australia and Uruguay squaring off in pool day play. And it is warm outside, perfect in, with the city hosting the second of five World Cup games today. Sends it white, Lily Fano, Beal in the line, Beal across the park, finds Dane Halepetti. Punches it one metre over the advantage line, Beal, Patea, Patea, Patea! Lilia Fano holding it up here for Kurandrani. Beal into the line. Beal looking for the switch for Patea. Jumps away from one. Jordan Patea puts away to Vida Kurandrani. The K train cruises away for Australia's third, but it was the work of the kid Patea that set it alight. Why? Off the back, Lilian Fano, Kurandrani bursts through. Already has one, mark up, TK for two. All too easy for Tavita Kurandrani. Dempsey kicks out of one. Dempsey spins past another. Dempsey gets it off the hip. Trapped at the base of the scrum here. Dempsey goes himself. He's close. Dempsey. Genia. Slipper. Slipper. James Slipper. It's taken 94 games. But James Slipper finally, finally has a try for Australia. Desperate stuff from Los Terros. Bodies everywhere. The crowd willing them on here. That's the try! Again, up looking back short side, finding Billy Fano. He pops for Pocock, who is clubbed from behind. It goes in a touch and 
The shutters come down at full time in Oita on this Pool D clutch between the Wallabies and Uruguay. And it is Australia who walk away as winners. Full time, 45 to 10. So the Wallabies top of Pool D with that bonus point win against Uruguay. Uh, that's not immediate qualification though, is it? Well, they're pretty close now. They actually go top of Pool D with that bonus point victory. But Wales, Wales defeated Australia a few days ago. When they play their next match, it's widely expected they will move ahead of Australia. So I think Wales and Australia are the two teams that will move from Pool D into the quarterfinal stages. Um, Interesting in that win though, a good solid win for Australia, 45 points to 10, but discipline problems have uh, been surrounding the Australian camp throughout the Rugby World Cup. Two players today, Sinbin for high tackles. So Michael Checker, who's been having all sorts of um, discussions in the media regarding the, the rules and him not understanding the rules and the players not knowing what's going on and the refereeing of certain matches, particularly uh, the, the last match, I don't know if you saw the challenge uh, the ball carry of Tavita Kudradrani into um, Patchfit, the, uh, the, the, the Welsh the replacement fly half. And he was penalised for going in high as opposed to the tackler. So all sorts of um, issues. Are, Australia seemed to really adopt a siege mentality in this Rugby World Cup. Two yellow cards. So just disciplinary issues are sort of nagging around that Australian team. But they'll be happy with that 45 points to 10 victory. Two tries today each to Tavita Kudundrani and Dane Hewlett-Petty. Very promising 19-year-old winger debut today, Jordan Patia. He looks like a real future player for the future. Keep an eye on him. Uh, Will Guinier and James Slipper scoring his first try in 92 matches for the Wallabies, the uh, Australian prop. So big win for Australia, 45 points to 10. Man of the match was the Australian centre, Tavita Kudundrani. This is what he had to say after the match. And some massive congratulations to our Mastercard player of the match, Tavitika Andrani, who's receiving the prize for this one. Well done. Thank you very much. That was a good one, wasn't it? I mean, you got plenty of ball and obviously some points. Uh, yeah, uh, it was a bit uh, rusty at the first of the half. Uh, but yeah, uh, we went in in the change room in the second half. And uh, we just need to stick to basics. And uh, yeah, we came out in the second half and uh, got the job done. Yeah, what did Michael Checker say at halftime? Uh, just be more direct, uh, you know, just uh, go through them before we can play wide. We were sort of uh, trying to go wide uh, before that. So, yeah, we just stick to basics again, and then there were, uh, all those tries came after that. And what do you think you needed to do to get in that starting position um, going forward? I don't know, just keep uh, training hard and keep playing like that, and hopefully uh, Checker will keep picking. And finally, have you got anyone here or at home that you want to say hi to? Oh yeah, I just want to send a message back to my village, back in uh, Fiji. Just want to say something Fijian. Mutomi rara i namatakula. Wana tikwali wana tukun kotoma. Na bimasulaki. Wira talangwangwa wana tikotonga. Wana kwe mtsungwana koto. Ya kere na fiulo faiba. Unata. Yeah, if you're confused, we are as well. So that was the <laughs> Australian centre sending a message back to his village in Fiji, is that right? That's uh, dead bang on there Tom, yeah, Kudundrani's been a star for Australia and it's he's like obviously... Arabian Golf League teams need a Brazilian, <laughs> I think international rugby teams need a Pacific Islander. Well, we'll need a Fijian who seem to be spread around, around <laughs> world rugby, but I can bring you a bang up to date from the match uh, going ongoing in the Rugby World Cup. Eight minutes to go and I'll tell you what, Samoa have just got themselves a slim chance of getting back into the match, they've crashed over for a try and I can tell you that they're now back in the match with a chance. It's, uh, it's, it's Japan still leading 26 points to 19, so only a seven-point lead now. Seven minutes remaining. Japan need to win. Ideally, they'd like a bonus point as well to give them a chance of going through the quarterfinals. Fantastic victory for Japan against one of the pre-tournament favourites, Ireland, only a week ago, but they're hanging on here against Samoa. 26 points to 19, six minutes remaining. We'll keep you bang up to date with the score as they come in from Japan. They're like an upset, don't they, Samoa? They're, 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 they're sort of the upset kings in in world cups isn't it 95 wales Cardiff? no no that was earlier that was 91 91 91 i think they uh that was when it was only western samoa yeah so just imagine if the whole of samoa had played in that match western samoa it's funny i was listening to a podcast about that the other day 
um, because and they actually hadn't qualified for the tournament. No, sorry, there wasn't the, the sort of qualification that we see for this. So they weren't invited to the tournament. So I don't really know how they came to be playing Wales in, uh, in the first game of uh, the tournament, which was being uh, co-hosted in Wales uh, and England at the time. But interesting uh, fact from that one. Do you remember a couple of the, uh, uh, the, the players in that one? So Paolo Perolini? Yeah, Apollo was there. Uh, AP was there. Uh, who was the, the captain? Fats. Uh, Peter... Uh, Peter Fetilofer. Yeah, Fats the, Fats the piano... What was he? Piano remover. Piano remover, isn't it? That was his <laughs> daily job, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's some great players they, here. Brian Lima. Brian Lima was part of that team. He was known as the uh, chiropractor, wasn't he? And yeah, I can tell you again, there's cheers going around Barasti as Japan have just scored, and that should probably wrap the match, match up. Five minutes remaining. They've gone end-to-end. Samoa back into the match, they scored that last uh, try to, to close the gap to seven points. But Japan now, I think they've scored a try, they've gone over with only four minutes remaining. That should be enough to wrap up the match. They lead 31 points to 19. Conversion to come, and uh, Japan, the, can they score another try now? There's a lot of urgency. Can they score their fourth try to get them a bonus point, which could be important for them making the quarterfinals? Massive match next week, Tom. Can Japan taking on Scotland. Well, that's the final game in the group, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that could be really much a decider about who gets a quarterfinal position between those two two teams, and and that also puts Ireland right back in the mix there as well. So that is a match, almost like a knockout match, could be Japan Scotland. But Japan winning this match to go will go a long way towards them clinching a a, a quarterfinal slot, and maybe a game against either South Africa or New Zealand, depending on who wins that group, which will be really fascinating. And we're getting down to those sort of um, uh, permutations time at the moment, aren't we? Australia complete their pool stage fixtures against Georgia on Friday. Uruguay, who shocked Fiji in their opening game of the tournament, complete their campaign against Wales next Sunday. Uh, so uh, what could be on the list? Well, uh, the Wallabies top the pool, having played a game more than Wales now, who still have to face Fiji and Uruguay, but such penalty counts uh, and numerical disadvantages could cost them against better sides in the knockout stages. Potential quarterfinal against potentially England. I know everything's very potential at the moment, but things could work out that way. I think pretty much for sure that's bang on. I think Australia will finish second in that. Paul Wales will go through undefeated. Obviously the key match was Wales defeating Australia last weekend. Uh, so they will go through, Australia will finish second, England look like they're going to top their pool, depending on what happens against France. And as I say, you never, never discount the French. They like to sort of uh, peek around World Cup times, but England I would expect on form to finish the top of that pool. And the England-Australia quarter-final for me looks pretty much bang on, set, done and dusted. And who do you make favourite for that? I think Australia, will have, I, think, I think England will have too much power. Um, I, think, I, think I think Australia can pose some questions of England, but I, th I think England too powerful, too much all-round game. I think they'll, they'll go back to sort of a very patterned style of play. And I think they'll have too much they'll, they'll, they'll have too much power and get past Australia. But I think Australia can cause them some problems. But England are having to do it tough. Big win today against uh, Argentina. They're going to play France next weekend. A potential quarter-final looks like Australia in that. And then potentially a semi-final against New Zealand, depending on what happens on the, it could be New Zealand Ireland or New Zealand Japan quarterfinal at this stage. One thing that's impressed me about England, I don't know what you boys think, is, is, is their strength in depth. Uh, their strength off the bench, I think, has been notable for me uh, in, recent, uh, in, recent, in the recent games that we've seen. And I know that's something that Eddie Jones has worked on a lot in the build-up to this World Cup. But, you know, the likes of Lewis Ludlam, he was just immense today. Sam Underhill, things like that. I mean, th this is a back row that England started with today that we wouldn't have predicted 12 months ago. Oh, 12 months ago, some of those players went on the scene. Underhill, yeah. Curry, uh, Ludlam, I've never heard of them before. But guys that have done really well in a tough premiership have come into that team and they've got Eddie Jones has got them playing in a pattern of play that, that's that's working for the team there. Plus they've got the big name players, haven't they? The the Mara Otojes, the, the Courtney Laws, um, the Owen Farrells, really performing well. So England look like a well oiled machine. Do they have a bit of X factor? Do can can they win a close game against an All Blacks in the semi final? Where where's their match winning coming from? That would be the questions being posed around England. But at this for me, at this stage of the World Cup England look bang on to be there or thereabouts to semi-final stage. New Zealand look pretty good. And I still think South Africa, despite losing to New Zealand two weeks ago in that first match, South Africa have impressed there. Wales, whilst having a great win against uh, Australia, I still want to see them tested under uh, under the pump. I don't think Australia are one of the favoured teams, but a good win for Wales. And that puts them through. Ireland, who, who many thought were going to be there or thereabouts, you've got a question where uh, Ireland's credentials of going on and winning a World Cup after losing to Japan. No team's ever won a World Cup losing a match in the pool, in the pool play. And, and Ireland now are going to have to find that. I think they missed, missed Johnny Sexton in that game. 
uh, it showed that his leadership and his direction, his, his ability to manage a match was clearly missing from Ireland, who look a bit one-paced, a bit one-dimensional, but can they win a semi-final? Can Ireland beat maybe the All Blacks or South Africa in a quarter-final match? I'm not convinced that if, they can. If you were offered the field or the All Blacks, who would you take, Arch? I'll take the All Blacks because you've got to prove me wrong. They've won. They haven't lost a World Cup match since 2009. They've been under pressure. They've got a core, a set of core players that have been there, done that, won the big matches. Some of the teams have to show me that they, to win the World Cup, I think you've got to beat the All Blacks at some stage. And, yeah. if it, and, it, and it, whether it be at quarter-final stage, unless you're France, semi-final stage. Well, I'm not sure New Zealand can actually match up against France unless they probably see them in the final. Yeah, sure. um, but I think England look best equipped to beat the All Blacks. But that is looking like a semi-final match. Winner of that match for me is be, be the favourites. Whether it be South Africa come through the other side or Wales come through the other side, England or New Zealand are probably for me the two standout teams at the Rugby World Cup to date. Right. Well, it's interesting. I, I would personally think that I would completely agree with you. The All Blacks for me are just the best side, aren't they? They're the best side. Yeah. And, and and there's too many inconsistencies. There's too many question marks over the rest. We've already seen them beat South Africa. So you can chalk that off. If we're going to go down the route of no sides won a World Cup having lost a match, then we chalk off South Africa, we chalk off Australia, we chalk off Ireland. That leaves England, Wales and New Zealand as the contenders. And you've got to say, you've got to say, Robbie, you know, between those three teams, New Zealand won a very close match against England at Twickenham last year. You know, controversial ending, though. So that, that'll be in their mind. Wales haven't beaten New Zealand since 1953. So they'll have some doubts going into, into a potential match against New Zealand. But it'll all come down to 80 minutes of rugby. Who's more durable? The refs have seemed to play a big part. Will players get injured? Will players either have a red card or be suspended? That's going to be a factor come the knockout matches. Who's, who's got best squads available? New Zealand got Brodie Retallick coming back now from injury. He's been off for two months. A world-class lock. You know, he, in New Zealand, in their strength of depth, he is a player that makes a difference. And he's coming into the tournament fresh. He'll play against Namibia. He'll play a half. And New Zealand seemed, I still think, watching them play, they've still got another gear to go to. Come, come the knockouts. They, they kept a little bit against South Africa. They seemed to have a bit in, 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 you know, left in the tank. And they won't really get challenged. If they play Japan in a quarterfinal, you expect them to win relatively comfortably in that match. So they're just gearing towards the knockout phases. A bit like England now, gearing towards the knockout phases. So one team that we haven't mentioned, well, they have just been mentioned in passing, but one team we haven't really given much of an R2, and I've been impressed with them in this tournament so far, France. I mean, there's, no one's really talking about France. They haven't, they haven't lost a game yet. You know, they've gone two, two from two. Obviously, they've got that big game against England uh, next Saturday, I think it is, 12.15 kickoff uh, for that one. But they, um, they've, they've just gone about their business quite quietly, had a couple of good victories uh, under their belt already. Um, and I've been really impressed by a couple of standout players for them, none more so than that centre, Fuku, who I think is, is proper world-class. Well, Gail Fuku's been around for a while now, hasn't he? And, he? and he burst on the scene as a 19-year-old in the Six Nations Championship. And he sort of set, set the, world, the rugby world alight. And he's kind of been there or thereabouts and hasn't probably delivered on his potential. But now, on the big stage, you see how, how talented he is. You just get worried about the French. Do they show up? Are they, are they together as a team? They do like showing you, up at World Cups, though, they don't do, they? They do like showing up at World Cups. And one of the factors is that... Given, the, given that there's such a strong club dominance in, in, the, in the French top 14, the players for, say, the Six Nations tournament get little preparation as a French team. They come together from those big clubs, they get a really limited build-up time compared to a Wales and Ireland and England where you've got almost central, central contracted players there. They go into camp for a lot longer. France have been in camp for a long time for this World Cup. So they get together, they, they gel, they get the combinations working, and they seem to be so much stronger come World Cups than they do at Six Nations. And that's no, no, no sort of, um, you know, 2011, they made the final after being thrashed. And then, then, they, then they struck a pretty good New Zealand side in the, in the quarterfinals last time in, in, in the last event and lost by sort of 50 points. But France, you never, you never discount them. They're just a team that, I know from an All Blacks perspective, they get worried when, when, when a French match is looming because they, on their day, they, just, they, they can turn into world beaters. So let's wait and see. But I think a, they a play big Tonga judgment. tomorrow. They're going to be Tonga. So they'll be three from three. They'll be uh, uh, equal on points with England, the top of that group. So it comes down to a shootout next Saturday. Well, I think they'll be slightly behind. England have got three bonus points from three matches. France have only picked up one bonus point. So that they'll be maybe a point behind England uh, on that thing. So if England and France really a shootout in that match to see who finishes first or second in uh, Pool C. And that match, of course, mark your cards, it's next Saturday. The other big match, Tom, and I know you'll be watching this, next Sunday, Japan versus Scotland. Another pivotal match uh, in that group to see who finishes uh, 
first or second. Japan, Scotland or Ireland now. Three teams vying for two places in, in that pool. And that's going to be fascinating as well. So we've just seen Japan score in the final minutes of that match, also almost with the, with, the, with the time up, which gives them the reason the crowd's cheering down here at Barasti. Their fourth try, it'll give them a bonus point. And that is going to be absolutely crucial for Japan when it comes down to final equations there. So Japan securing a bonus point victory against uh, Samoa. And that really puts Ireland and also Scotland under a lot more pressure now. And it's going to be a fascinating match next Sunday, Scotland versus Japan. And it's great for the hosts. It's great to see the enthusiasm. I don't know if you guys yeah, have been seeing... down here, brilliant. I don't know if you've been seeing the, 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 fan, yeah. the fan viewing areas around, around Japan have been absolutely packed. And it's just going to be wonderful for rugby and, and wonderful for the event if Japan do go through and make the quarterfinals, finishing first or second in that pool. Are you listening to The Grill? We're broadcasting live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Plenty of live sport for us to get our head around. Next. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Whistles being blown in sporting arenas around the globe. Let's get over to Japan, first and foremost, where a full-time whistle has gone. Yeah, third and final match of today's Rugby World Cup matches, and it's the host Japan have comfortably defeated Samoa four tries to one and they've won it uh, four tries to two sorry 38 points to 19 it means that they've secured a bonus point victory which takes them back to the top of pool a it's Japan leading it from Ireland and then obviously a massive match Scotland in third place Japan taking on uh, Scotland next week so Japan go to the top of pool a if they finish first Tom it likely means that Ireland will take on the All Blacks in a quarter-final as opposed to Japan. So those teams are buying off. It means that uh, Japan will take on the Springboks in a likely quarter-final if they stay top of Pool A, and Ireland, if they finish second, will likely take on the All Blacks in that quarter-final. And that is a fascinating match given the recent history between those two teams. So Japan, great victory, 38 points to 19. Wins earlier today for Australia. They defeated Uruguay 45 points to 10, and England were too strong against a 14-man Argentina. They won that match 39 points to 10. Oh, there's a half-time whistle that's gone in the Premier League. Fascinating game this one, Robbie Greenfield. Yeah, we've seen um, Tottenham Hotspur once again exposed by Brighton and Hove Albion. They were exposed during the week by Bayern Munich. I don't think anyone expected them to be outplayed by Brighton. That is exactly what's happened. And, and just to give you an idea of the golf in, in play at the moment, Brighton have had nine attempts on goal to Tottenham's two. They've also made two of those attempts count. Neil Malpe opened the scoring in the third minute. It was a horrendous injury that we witnessed to the goalkeeper Hugo Lloris in the Spurs goal. During that goal, he bungled a, a, what looked like a harmless cross from Pascal Gross. Malpe was on hand to, uh, to mop up and Lloris was ultimately subbed and replaced by Paolo Gazaniga in the Spurs goal. It got worse from that point for Tottenham Hotspur. The teenager Aaron Connolly making it 2-0 on the 32nd minute and it is at the Amex Stadium, Brighton 2 Spurs nil. Uh, there's a half-time whistle also in the championship where we have had a goal in the first half. Rob? Yeah, Conor Gallagher, the midfielder, has scored it. He got booked as well, but he came back on the 41st minute, did Gallagher, and he's the difference between the two teams at the moment. Charlton away to Fulham in that one in the championship. They're leading 1-0. And Tom, over in Spain, I can tell you, in the match between Leganes and Levante, we've seen an extraordinary number of yellow cards in the match, seven in that first <laughs> period. It's the 56th minute now, so a red card perhaps in the offing there, but crucially, it is 2-0 to Levante. Roger Marty and Jose Campana with the goals in that one. Uh, and it's 0-0 between England and Brazil in the women's international friendlies that uh, have kicked off. Uh, Phil Neville's uh, England women's team uh, holding Brazil 0-0 after 37 minutes. Uh, there's other rugby on as well, isn't there, over the course uh, of today. Um, there's return of the top 14, return of the Guinness uh, Pro 14, and also this Premiership Cup competition that runs, I don't know why they're running it during a Rugby World Cup, but it's interesting to see some of the sort of big guns, but we, we talked about this last season, isn't it? it, it given an op opportunity for a number of the clubs to, to get to work to, on their squads, because this isn't the, the full-blown Gallagher Prem, is it? No, this is, this is the Rugby Cup, and I guess it's very difficult for the European teams with so many international players and, and uh, representing uh, their, their, their countries in, in, in the World Cup. Three matches today in the Premiership Rugby Cup, Bath at home to Leicester, Wins take on Gloucester and Sale will face Wasps. But also, there's a full round of five matches in the Guinness Pro 14 and also in the top 14, we're seeing that well underway as well with five matches. So European uh, club rugby in France, in, in, uh, in, in the United Kingdom and also in England, 
uh, all the matches are taking place. And uh, it's, it'll be difficult for fans. I guess you're at home watching your uh, <laughs> international matches. It's a big day of rugby. You're probably watching the matches on TV and then you're heading off to your local uh, local club to watch them play. And I guess it's a good chance for some of the youngsters, some of the um, some of the some of the fringe players to really sort of lay a stake down while the international players away and try and sort of lay their marker for the season, maybe win a contract while some of the international players away at the Rugby World Cup. And I guess as the teams start to get eliminated over the next two weeks, some of those players will be sort of rushed back into their clubs quite quickly as, as the season uh, gathers pace. But plenty of rugby in the Rugby World Cup. Of course, the final in Japan is only November the 2nd, so we still have a good uh, almost a month towards the final there. Let's just have a look at some of those fixtures for you a little later on. Uh, all kicking off at 6 o'clock over in the Premiership Rugby Cup. Bath taking on Leicester. Quinns are at home to Gloucester and Sale entertain Wasps. All those games off at 6. Uh, it's also the return of the Guinness Pro 14 as well, although, as Archie was rightly saying, a number of those clubs will be shorn of several of their players. Um, interesting in the, in, in the Guinness Pro 14 this season as well, a few more teams being added into the mix. Was it last year that they had the, that they, they started the intro of, of, of inviting a couple of the uh, South African franchises to come up and ply their trade in the Guinness Pro? Yeah, two teams from South Africa, obviously two teams that weren't playing as part of the uh, Super Rugby setup, the Southern Kings and the Cheetahs, of course, from Bloemfontein, from the, from the Free State. They're both teams that play now in the Guinness Pro 14. So uh, the, the Southern Kings base themselves out of Port Elizabeth yep. and the Cheetahs obviously out of Bloemfontein. So yeah, it's been an interesting addition for, for South African teams to, to play and give some younger players who haven't got, say, Super Rugby contracts to play in the Pro 14. And uh, a very interesting and, and sort of a, uh, dynamic element, I guess, throwing it into the, into the Pro 14 mix. Uh, a great away trip for some of those uh, some of those Welsh, and Irish, and and uh, Scottish clubs. Benetton Treviso also in the Guinness Pro 14 for this season as well. So you obviously get your air miles now, aren't you, if you're playing in those tournaments? Because this is just the the week and week league, league games. You know, this is not the European competitions that they'll also play later on in the season. Yeah, and if you look at it as well, you've got uh, Southern Kings in, in Port Elizabeth hosting, hosting Munster. So the team from uh, Ireland uh, have headed over there. And then Ulster, uh, the other team over in South Africa, they're, they're taking on the Cheetahs and Bloemfontein. So, yeah, if you're a... There's two Irish sides. If you're, if, you're an, if you're a young Irish footballer and wanting to obviously experience the world travels and experience touring with your club side, it's, that's a great trip to go on over to, over to the Republic. Uh, and uh, finally, the, uh, also the other return at the moment, top 14 of uh, uh, rugby is back. Now, this one I don't get at all because top 14 is obviously a very competitive league. But uh, how many of the teams have had to sort of bring new blood in to cover the gaps? Because... Eight, the majority of the French uh, team will, will, have, will be playing in the top 14, but equally a lot of the international talent as well. Oh, they've got so much international talent, haven't they? Couldn't in they just wait for four <laughs> weeks? I mean, it's four weeks today, isn't it, wow. that we've got the Rugby World Cup final. Could you yeah. not wait four weeks? It's already a really long season in, in France, isn't it, between um, all the clubs there, and so it's so difficult to... Um, to, to, to give, give teams almost like six weeks off or two months off without playing some matches. And uh, they've already played in the top 14, I'm just looking at the table now, five matches. <laughs> and you, and we've, got some un, we've got some, we usually associate the teams at the top of that. The teams like Racing 92, teams like Toulon and Toulouse are usually the, the leading sides with mm. the international players. But I can tell you at the top now, it's Lyon leading it. They've won five from five. Bordeaux, Bagels, they've won four matches out of their five. Poe. And Bayonne are the top four teams in, 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 in top 14 rugby. So those would have been the clubs with, who, who haven't lost that, <laughs> that many players to international squads. And, and interesting, right at the bottom of the table are the two teams based in Paris, uh, Stade Francais and Racing 92. Yeah. A, a, third, a stone cold last with only, we've lost four matches. You can understand, they've got three players <laughs> left. And so they're probably running really small squads of players with so many players away. And they're two of the biggest spending teams in, in French rugby. So they've been decimated. So it's really going to hinder their chances the longer France goes and some of those international teams stay in the, in the, in the, in the Rugby World Cup, it's really going to be the end of their chances in the domestic, in the domestic season because they'll be so far behind the other sides. But I guess it's, it's a Rugby World Cup year and uh, it's just a matter of, matter of the way that it goes. In terms of, of, of rest, I'm, I'm assuming that when the players get back from all the international players that they need a mandated four weeks rest or something like that? Well, you, you're under club contract, so I'm guessing some of the players, they'll want to get them back and maybe give them a week or two, but they'll, they'll want to get them back. And you know, if these players are contracted by their clubs, a lot of the, a lot of them pay their, their, their daily. It's, their, it's where their majority of their salary comes from. You know, the, the French players are, are primarily funded by the clubs. We see many international players. You know, the Fijians and, and some of the Samoans will play in, in top 14. So they'll want to get them back into club rugby, and the players are wanting to start once they start getting paid their full match fees and their bonus money 
quickly as possible. So uh, they maybe get a couple of weeks off at max, and I think they'll be they'll be, they'll be taken back into those teams uh, with welcome arms. You listen to the Grill broadcasting live from Bristol, where the game is always on. Uh, big man Jamie Joseph is on the screen at the moment uh, with his post-match analysis as Japan uh, continue their dream start to their home World Cup. We'll have more sport for you next. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Uh, so plenty to talk about in the world of rugby, and we've just received uh, the highlights from the England against Argentina game that took place a little earlier on. Uh, let's listen to those now, and then we'll reflect more on it straight after. Hello and welcome to the Tokyo Stadium. We're back in Pool C and it's getting serious now. It's almost like the knockout round before the knockouts. England and Argentina go head-to-head -head with qualification for the quarterfinals on the line. It is hot here, very, very hot in every sense of the word. Not too many outside of the, the right now. Youngs goes wide, Ford, in goes May. England score! Dipping slightly, and that's force shoulder to the head. You are always high. You were leading with the shoulder, and you make a contact with the head of number 10, who was not come down enough for the height for me to give you anything but the red card. The shoulder to the head with high degree of danger. Okay, now that is it. Youngs, now some width. Daly juggles, and Daly sets off for the line. And England have their second. Punishing, punishing set of drives on the line, then some width. Daly. News, please. Tulangi sniffing in there for a while. And this is a familiar situation, isn't it? Vunapola drives to within three metres. Youngs! Ben Youngs! Here comes Tulangi. England sniffing a fourth try, a bonus point try. It's George Ford's try. Gravy picks out Alamano. Inside ball is good. Through the middle goes Carreras. Lovely ball for Moroni. Argentina strike back. England looking to put the seal on this victory. Noel. It's not theirs yet. Jack Knoll somehow skips free, and here's Jack Knoll into the corner. And surely pointing the way for England to the World Cup quarterfinals. Farrell lands it, and that's it. It wasn't always pretty, but the quarterfinals back in for England. Already one step further than 2015. Another bonus point win with France to come next Saturday and it leaves Argentina all but out of contention. Full time in Tokyo, England 39, Argentina 10. An interesting one, isn't it, Arch, for England and Eddie Jones? Because ordinarily you'd think, oh, great, OK, look, I've qualified for the quarters. Uh, let's wrap, wrap my boys up in, in cotton wool now. Uh, we'll get through that final group game next weekend and then, of course, the knockouts. Uh, action starts. However, that game next week is going to be crucial as to finish who finishes top of the table. Exactly, and teams are obviously jockeying for positions. Um, I'm sure that, that, that Eddie Jones will, won't care who he plays in the quarterfinals, but he wants to keep momentum, he wants to keep winning, he wants to keep players confident, and the only way really to do that is to keep winning matches. And uh, you know he's gone one step further than England did in 2015, where they didn't escape the pool at the World Cup in, in the UK. He's now made he's the first team to qualify for the quarterfinals, and whether they end up playing. Um, Wales or uh, they could play Australia you know he'll, he'll want to control and he'll want to win the pool and keep keep sort of the the, the sensibility in, 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 in England's control what we said earlier is no team's ever lost a match in a World Cup and went gone on to win it so Eddie knows how important it is to keep momentum to keep confidence obviously a loss to France next week would start to cause doubts within the camp and that would be a big factor not saying they're still good enough to go around and turn that around but history tells you otherwise that it hasn't been done before so Eddie Jones massive match France take, will take on England next Saturday that will probably work out who finishes top 
of uh, a top and second place on that pool. We just also brought you the result from uh, Japan. They've, they've secured a dramatic bonus point victory against Samoa. They now top pool A with 14 points. They've won all three matches, getting two bonus points along the way. They are three points ahead of Ireland who've got 11 points with one victory, and Scotland back in third with five points there. So massive match next week. Japan all but qualified for the, uh, for, for the quarterfinals. Will they finish top or second in their pool? Can uh, Ireland some, find some way? Scotland will have to beat Japan. Ireland will have to win their remaining match to avoid the All Blacks in, a, in what would be a, a very fascinating quarterfinal there. So Japan taking on Scotland next Sunday. Mark your cards for that, Tom, being a, a, a very proud Scot. You'll be watching that game uh, with all sorts of excitement, I'm sure. Indeed, I will. A uh, quick, quick question to you both as well, because I don't know if we've seen, I don't even know if Eddie Jones knows, but have we seen a um, little insight into Eddie Jones thinking at the moment of his best starting 15? I know that's a bit of a sort of uh, a misnomer in the sense that the, the bench plays such an important role in international rugby these days. But uh, one specific point of discussion has been the back three, uh, for, uh, 15, 14 uh, and 11, the two wingers and the, and the fullback. Elliot Daly, I think, has grown into the role uh, at 15. Started today with Anthony Watson on one wing, Johnny May on another. So a nice balance of two quite dynamic players. But a bit of a headache for the coach because when Jack Noll comes on, then we see England going forward a little more. And Jack Noll, one of those big game players that will get you out of a hole. Yeah, but it has been sort of uh, suffering with injury issues in the last few while. But good to see him back playing a match today. Johnny May kind of looks a lock in there for the, for the left wing. <laughs> good to see. He's and just yeah, he's rapid, just, isn't he? Yeah. He is, and Elliot Daly looked like a lock in at fullback. Um, the other wing, wing positions are kind of a bit up for grabs. It's a bit, a bit mixed and match about who they're playing. The other question, interesting question I find with England and Eddie Jones is the forward Farrell axis. Will he continue to play forward at 10 and Farrell at inside centre? I'm not so sure he will play that against some of the, some of the stronger teams. I'm just not convinced that forward is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, against the in the really big matches is the answer. I think Farrell at 10 and playing the really strong centre combination, whether it be Maru Tauulagi and one of the other centres in there, that, that seems to be his option. But what Eddie Jones has shown is he's got strength and depth. He can rotate players into positions and not seem to sort of really affect the England performance. So it will be really interesting to see how he shapes up the team to play France then how he takes on a potential semi-final against Australia, about what is what his preferred, particularly in the back in the back line, what his preferred sort of lineup is. I don't know if he knows his best team yet. And that, that may be an issue, whereas I think most of the other squads tend to have a pretty good idea of their top 15 and their top 23. It's, it's probably not a bad thing for Eddie, because if he does lose a player or two to injury or suspension, he's got players that can seamlessly fit in. But I don't know if he knows his best 15 yet at this stage of the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you look at the, the impact that, that Cowan Dickey and Nal had in yeah. that match against Argentina. I think Nal, Nal looks very much like an impact sub yeah. who comes on with 15 minutes to play and changes things up, presents a different threat. He's physical and uh, they described him as, as almost like an NFL running back in the style that he plays. And I think that maybe he's not the automatic starting choice. I would say that at least 80 to 90 percent of the England team look, looks to be fairly well set but but there's always just those one or two changes that could come in um, as they progress further into the tournament but but again that will depend on the nature of the threat posed by the opponents I think. No you did right and I mean it's we're at a really fascinating stage now because we kind of got you know we, we pretty much know which teams are going to be there or thereabouts come the quarterfinals now it's just about the permutation of who's going to be playing who. All Blacks uh, Big win against South Africa in the first uh, on the first weekend. That was a crucial match. For me, I said at the start of the tournament, for me, that's the final. I, I think New Zealand will play South Africa again in the final, but I'm, I'm, I'm likely to be proved wrong at some stage. Maybe England to the team is going to throw a spanner in the works of that. Maybe looks like New Zealand potentially playing Ireland. No one thought that was going to happen in the quarterfinal stage. Ireland, a team with a record in the last two years against the All Blacks that no one else has had before. They've had two victories albeit once in Dublin, once in, in Chicago. So they're a team the All Blacks will fear. They thought they were playing Japan. And I think everyone would agree that the All Blacks versus Japan is probably a pretty uh, one-sided match. You would have thought that New Zealand, given the history and their heritage of quarterfinals, as good as Japan have done, you think the All Blacks will be one step too many. But the All Blacks, though, seem to be have another gear for me. They seem to be getting stronger. They've got the Moanga and Barrett playing 10 and 15. That seems to be working for them. That's getting better. And one of their big match players is, is going to come back in their match tomorrow against the Namibia. Brody Retallick, who's been out for a couple of months, he suffered a, a hit in the uh, rugby championship against one of the South Africans who basically dislocated his shoulder. And he's been in a race against time and was potentially a gamble to bring to the Rugby World Cup. Brody Retallick's likely to play a half of tomorrow's match and he's very keen and ready to go in this match against Namibia tomorrow.
It's good to be back. To be able to get a run, a little bit nervous. Obviously, it's been a wee while since I've been on the on the field, but now I'm definitely bloody excited to get back out there. It's taken a lot, a lot of hard work, and yeah, I mean Pete and Gilly uh, and all those boys have been putting a massive effort, so it's good to just get out back out there and um, not have to think about it and, and just rip in. What are you going to try and bring this week? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'll just be happy to get through my time on the field. Um, I obviously hope my lungs hold in there and um, who knows what will happen. Fair to say maybe not a full 80 like up. <laughs> I don't think I'll be going a full 80. It's a great effort by him, but uh, I don't think I'm planning to stay out there quite that long. Yeah, well, well, Danik, then. Make his way to know, yeah. didn't he? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that to his face. Yeah, exactly. You'd have to look up a long way, six wouldn't foot, you? Six foot, six foot eight and you know, 125 kg. Yeah, I reckon, his, I reckon the old nose has taken a bit of a pounding down the years, that's for sure. Uh, so that was you running your uh, running the line and running the rule on uh, all things New Zealand. I mean, how have you read, how have you re read the, the other team that you mentioned as potential uh, finalists, South Africa? Because there are a couple of question marks around there preparations for this World Cup but again big tournament team yeah and had a great win yesterday obviously they're a very tough match against the All Blacks our, our traditional foes New Zealand South Africa that traditional rivalry in that in that first match two weeks ago the All Blacks found a way to get the result there against South Africa um, and, and they seem to New Zealand seem to have answered to most of the South African questions in that match but Springboks yesterday well they cruised to victory against a 14-man Italy the match was really again like today with Argent the Argentinian player again getting sent off against England when, when Italy went down to 14, it could have been 13 man, two players could have been sent off for a tip tackle against the Springboks. They really then kicked up to another gear um, after, after Levetti was sent off for that tip tackle and they scored seven tries in that bonus point victory. So South Africa looked good. We know how strong they are up front. We know how confrontational they are. We know about the, their forward dominance. But Ch in, in Cheslin Colby, the, the little diminutive winger, probably the star of the tournament so far, he looks sensational. Oh, he's know. a he's a hot stepper, isn't he? I think the Japanese uh, uh, winger will push him for that at yeah. the moment. He's been impressive. Yeah, but Colby's been sensational. He scored two tries in that match. He look, he's looked sensational against the All Blacks. He, he was great against Namibia and he scored two tries um, against um, Italy yesterday. He just looks impossible to tackle. He's, he's like a Jason Robinson on on on, on wheels, isn't he? He's, he's a stepper, and he's and he's for, for a guy who's like five foot seven, I think. He just looks him so hard to tackle, such a low centre of gravity. For me, he just reminds you of, of Jason Robinson back in two thousand and uh, two thousand and three. Yeah. So he's been he's been great. So South Africa now with that victory, they top Pool B. Their final matches against Canada, New Zealand playing Namibia tomorrow. will jump ahead with, with victory. And then that New Zealand has to play Italy last week. And you would expect New Zealand to beat Namibia pretty comfortably. And then they should defeat Italy next week. Um, and they will top Port B. South Africa will finish second. And those two teams will advance to the quarterfinals. Rasti Erasmus, the South African coach, well, he was delighted with that victory. He was nervous going into the match against Italy because he knows they have the potential for an upset. But he was pretty happy after the win yesterday. Well, the yin and the yang continues. Razi, incredible performance from your team there. Very dominant. What are your thoughts on the game? No, no, just happy, you know, uh, this was a crunch game for us, you know, it, it looked easy, uh, you know, but it was a fairly slippery game for us in the beginning, we were a bit worried about this game, and I thought that red got, red card obviously cost them, because there were stages where they almost came back into the game, and I thought when they got that red card, it was quite easy for us after that. You spoke about being nervous preceding this game, how quickly did your nerves settle, looking at how well the team started? No, I think the boys are obviously now in playoff mode, our team understands that we're under pressure, and I know we... We sort of accepted that now and we're going to live by that now for the next couple of weeks and I guess we'll get used to that after a while. But no, now no, the next challenge is there and the next challenge is there. But I think well done to our boys. I think they handled it well tonight. You also mentioned about having more of an emphasis on the result rather than performance. Yeah. How happy with the performance were you? Yeah, more emphasis on the performance than the result, you mean. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think we were clinical, because well, they're a great contesting team at Linus. I thought Linus were great, I thought scrums were great. You know, I, I just thought our discipline were terrible the first half. You know, we conceded six or seven penalties when we were defending, but otherwise the defence was great. So I think overall, not a bad performance, but obviously not 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 a World Cup winning standard yet. Razia Rasmus there, another man you wouldn't argue with, that's for sure, uh, giving his thoughts on his team's growth into this tournament. One team uh, that we haven't talked a huge amount about are Warren Gatlin's Wales. Um, obviously, that victory against Australia has got their, their campaign back on track in more ways than one. Uh, you expect them to go through quarters, yeah? Yeah, Wales, I think, will top Paul D. They are Australia with their victory today against Uruguay, 45 points to 10 do lead Pool D by two points, but obviously Wales, with their victory against Australia last week, they, I expect them to top Pool D. They take on Georgia on Monday. Uh, actually, no, they don't. 
they, uh, <laughs> they <laughs> I'm just flicking through the fixtures here. They've got to take on Fiji uh, yeah. come next Wednesday. So that will be a, a match you'd expect Wales to win, albeit Fiji have been a little bit inconsistent, but you expect uh, Wales to get past Fiji. That will take them to the pop, top of Pool D and then possibly avoid that uh, quarterfinal against England. Two very familiar foes there. Wales have been good. They're, they're well coached, they're well drilled, they're efficient. To me, again, I'm not sure where, they, where their real X factor is, but they've got some players that just seem so comfortable on the ball. They don't make a lot of mistakes. Defensively, they seem incredibly strong, yeah. and they seem to grind teams into, into, and kick their penalties, and then are very reliant on the, the up and under and the, 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 the kick-chase game. But they look, uh, Warren Gatlin's got a very well-drilled squad there. It seems that they can move players in and out, a bit like England, and they seem to be seamlessly fitting into that Wales sort of system of play that Warren Gatlin's got them playing by. So Wales should top that group. Uh, I would expect them to be, finish first in Australia second. So Warren Gatland uh, had an interview a couple of days ago with uh, former New Zealand uh, All Black Mills Miliaina, and this is what uh, Mills asked him about uh, Wales' progression so far in the Rugby World Cup. Hey, Kenny, um, nice to get that one under, under the belt. Uh, you've got a pretty impressive side there. I mentioned before how fit they were and things like that, but also what's sort of shining out is their, um, how mentally tough they are. They look you know, really calm and composed. Um, you know, is it something you guys have worked on um, before heading to this, this tournament? Yeah, I think the big thing for us is about game management. To me, the All Blacks are always the benchmark and they go sometimes behind by 10 or 12 points and uh, they don't seem to panic. And we kind of got ourselves in that position, you know, with the Six Nations with 16-0 down against France, got ourselves back into the game to win that with 10-3 down against England and we did the same thing. So, you know, just players in terms of not forcing things, the game management, waiting for opportunities. Um, yeah, look, we worked really hard and the camps that we've had, we think we're pretty fit. We had a great training session yesterday and, and you know, afterwards, I mean, Alan and Jones sort of said, you know, we've just had a really tough session and no one's blowing now, so. I guess, you know, you mentioned before in the press up that, um, you know, you don't tend to look, look too far ahead, but personally, as a coach, um, do you kind of look over the other side and to see what's going on? And if you don't, I mean, uh, how do you keep your guys, you know, grounded so they're still looking forward? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we're obviously, we're all watching the games together and then watching what's going on. You're looking at the other pools and, um, you know, so for us, you know, if we do get through to the quarterfinals, it's it's possibly England or, you know, Argentina or France. You know, that's that's the way it's looking. So, you know, teams that we're pretty familiar with and, hey, they're going to be tough games, um, you know, whoever you get. Um, you're not trying to look too far ahead, but you just you've got to you've got to be smart and just uh, you know keeping you know one eye on what's happening in other groups as well. You talk about smart, but one advantage you've got is it's a long tournament. Uh, you've been involved with the Lions and the length of that. And how important is it to keep scheduling and things like that and keeping guys fresh and um, you know so they keep motivated over this long period of time? Yeah, that, that's that's really important and having having that experience. Like we you know, we had a six day turnaround. Uh, from Monday to Sunday, so you know, what's worked for us really well in the past is um, we give the boys Tuesday and Wednesday off, so we just have to go to a, a three-day week, so the bodies recover, and then you know a, a sort of a one tough day, and then easing into it with more intensity as the week goes on. We found that's worked really well for us in the past. We've had a really good record with doing that. A little bit different from the Rugby World Cup, mate. From but uh, it's awesome to see you come back from one Chiefs man to another. Looking forward to uh, 2020. I know you've turned down a lot of offers overseas and it's just great to have a, uh, a Chief man come back home. So looking forward to that, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Just buzzing about that. I'm really excited uh, to get back home and um, uh, you know, particularly for, for next year. And then I'm away with the Lions for a year and then, and then a couple of years uh, um, got an opportunity and kind of I couldn't turn my back on it really. Um, you know, it's not, not coming home for the financial rewards, but... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, it's a great to, to have a chance to, to coach back in New Zealand. And for me, Super Rugby as well, that's the, the pinnacle of um, Southern Hemisphere Rugby. And, um, you know, hopefully I can go back there and, um, and have an input and, and, and be successful. And that's, you know, that's the goal and to challenge myself back in New Zealand, which is going to be um, really challenging. But I'm really looking forward to it, really exciting, excited about it. Another man you probably wouldn't uh, question his interview styles. Mills Milena posing the questions on that occasion with Warren Gatland. Uh, there's been a couple of goals uh, in the championship. Uh, Robbie Greenfield's got the details for yeah, us on this. Yeah, they have, and it's, it's squared up at Craven Cottage. It's Fulham 2, Charlton Athletic 2. We'll forget that Charlton did take the lead on the 41st minute through Connor Gallagher. Fulham equalised through Ivan Cavaliero on the 55th minute. Macaulay Bond gave uh, Charlton a 2-1 lead on the 57th, and goals have been just 
flying in at Craven Cottage. It's now Alexander Mitrovic who's got his name on the score sheet. 63rd minute, 2-2, uh, plenty of time still to go. There's actually 24 minutes of normal time remaining for, uh, for more goals in that one. Um, just having a look at what's happening over in La Liga as well. Levante, Leganes are hosting Levante. Levante with two goals in the second half uh, to Roger Marti and Jose Campagna. Uh, Leganes have hit back at the 76th minute. And whilst I'm very used to talking about Rogers and Jose's in La Liga, it's often a shot when you see Martin Braithwaite has scored for Leganes uh, <laughs> after 76 minutes. Uh, a little bit of research, courtesy of Google, tells me that Martin Christiansen Braithwaite is a Danish professional footballer who plays for Leganes and the Danish national team as Not well. Not a name you often see in La Liga, that's <laughs> for sure. Uh, right, let's uh, turn our attention, if we can, very quickly to what's been going on in the world of golf. Obviously, we're not that well, far away now, are we, from the, uh, the, the race to Dubai? Up, yeah, no, we're building up. We're about six weeks away from the race to Dubai, culminating at the uh, Jumeirah Golf Estates for the DP World Tour Championship. And Points on offer this weekend? Between now and then, yeah, this is the Spanish Open, the Mutua Activos. We're going to have to break away, though. This is quite extraordinary. It's that man Connolly again for Brighton. It is Brighton three, Tottenham nil. This is a full-blown crisis for Tottenham Hotspur. They look dejected, they look demoralised and Brighton are in dreamland. This is a team that were on a run of draws for heaven's sake. They're now 3-0 up against the side that made the Champions League final just last season and finished third in the division. 64 minutes gone. It's Connolly once more. It's his second goal of the afternoon for the teenager. And uh, we're just watching a replay of how it all transpired. Connolly cutting inside beautifully and whipping a low, perfect shot past the uh, right-hand upright and past the despairing dive of the substitute Spurs goalkeeper as well. It is quite an extraordinary scoreline that we've seen developing here at the Amex Stadium. It is Brighton 3. Tottenham nil and the inquest will be out in force after this one. It's, gonna, it's, it's quite a significant um, um, uh, result as well because we were talking, weren't we, before the game about the fact that two of these teams were looking for form. One of the teams has found form in the first 65 minutes. The other seems to have gone backwards. Yeah, I mean, we, we didn't quite know what to expect from Tottenham. We didn't know whether there would be a strong response after losing 7-2 in the week in the Champions League group stages to Bayern Munich. And, well, we've got our answer now. There is definitely problems that are far more deep-rooted than perhaps uh, some of the more lenient Spurs observers might lead you to believe. I mean, the fact that uh, Mauricio Pochettino has insisted that it's business as usual, clearly something is up at the club and this has been a lacklustre performance from Tottenham. It's not just the fact that they're 3-0 down, it's the fact that they've barely mustered a chance. Yeah. I can't recall them having a single chance of note other than perhaps a few speculative long-range shots from the likes of Eric Lamella and Christian Eriksen as well. It's been a wretched performance from Tottenham and this is not a side that we're used to seeing turn in bad performances. They've been one of the better, in terms of the footballing quality, they've been right up there with the Liverpools and the Manchester Cities in the last couple of seasons. So the fact that, that, that things seem so lacklustre, the fact that the body language is, is so negative, that is the real worry for Mauricio Pochettino and Tottenham Hotspur. Not perhaps the scoreline, although that's bad, it's the manner of this defeat. Yeah. Uh, do keep your thoughts coming in, 4001, want to hear from Spurs fans, want to hear from Brighton fans, want to hear from sports fans as well. When we come back, uh, we will have more sport for you, cricket, golf, a bit of NFL, all to be discussed in the final hour. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Tweet the team at Dubai iSport. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.